Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Welcome to episode 40 of the Motor City Hoops Podcast. If you have not already, make sure you go and listen to episode 39 with Matt Derry from the Pistons Pod and Locked On Lions. But on this episode, I'm pumped that I get to talk to Piston, get to talk Pistons and NBA draft recap and reactions with Lazarus Jackson, editor at Detroit Bad Boys and host of Detroit Bad Boys and Pistons vs. Everybody podcast. Laz, thank you for joining me. No, no, thanks for having me, Bryce. I really appreciate it. No, for sure. So those of you guys that don't know, I've, I've recently joined the Detroit Bad Boys family in an official capacity, and uh, just everybody's been so welcoming. Laz, uh, all you guys, man, like I, I'm, so, I'm so happy and humbled to be a part of the Detroit Bad Boys. No, we're, I mean, we're, we're lucky to have you. We're, we're, uh, we're, we've been like going back and forth on having someone who does like the video content that you did um, and like the, the work you did on the exit interviews was outstanding. And so it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see like what comes next, what, uh, what you've got uh, up your sleeve moving forward. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, like I say I appreciate it. Um, Laz obviously does great work and, and make sure you guys are checking out all the new content on Detroit Bad Boys website. But today, this episode, we're talking Detroit Pistons draft. We're talking the NBA draft in general, and we might even talk about some of the reported trades that happened if we get the chance. But to start off, Laz, um, I just want to ask you, where did you watch the draft Thursday night? I watched it from my couch. Same place, <laughs> same place I'm recording this podcast from. Okay, so not, nothing special. You didn't. You you don't live in Detroit either, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I live in North Carolina, and so I've got like my my home office on the second floor where I do most of my like podcast operation and uh and, and watching TV and everything. I've got a little little carved out space for myself, and so I took in the uh, the draft from there. Awesome, awesome. So let's get right into it. Let's get to number one pick, Kate Cunningham. Uh, I want to go a little off. Before we just dive into him, the player, I always like to ask some other questions. So how uh, maybe you don't want to talk about this, so I'm sorry, but how close do you think Weaver and the Pistons actually were to trading that pick? No, I mean, this is, this is a good question. I don't, I don't know, right? Like, I don't have – I have some, like, inside sources inside the Pistons. I just have some people I talk to, right? But um, I don't know how, how close the, the Pistons were or weren't to, to trading the pick. And honestly – as long as Cade like works out, that's one of those things that'll kind of become like Pistons lore. Like, oh man, like they almost traded them for Shea Gillis Alexander and the sixth overall pick. Or like, oh man, like uh, Cleveland called and like offered the number three pick in Colin Sexton or something. I, you know, I don't know how true any of that stuff is or isn't. But uh, I'm just more, I'm more relieved that the Pistons like got their guys and like worried about like how close they, they came to not doing it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how stressful it got over the last month. Like I, I did not anticipate that. And this is, you know, I've only been really doing this for eight months. I mean, I've been a basketball fan my whole life, obviously, but doing the podcast, doing the, the Twitter stuff, all that. And I just, I just thought it was going to be sheer excitement. We get the number one pick. We're going to get Cade Cunningham. Life is good. And all it turned into was this report. And they like Jalen Green. And people are mad. And we don't trust Troy Weaver if he does it. And the, the trade rumors. And, man, it, it, it was stressful. Like, I, I'm going to admit, there was a little sigh of relief whenever I heard that pick announced last night. Yeah. I mean, what, what, from my perspective, it was like I <laughs> – I never allowed myself to think that they were getting the number one pick uh, until after the lottery and, and until after it already happened. And so it's like once, you know, once they had, were playing with house money in my mind, it's like, sure, we'll, we can see like what's going to happen, right? Like I'm, I, if Troy Weaver wants to cast a wide net and listen to all available offers and do his due diligence, I absolutely go for it. But like I, I have no control over the situation, but I really hope he reaches the same conclusion I have. <laughs> a long time ago. That's that's so true. Yes, go do everything, Troy. Do, do what you're supposed to do as a manager. But at the end of the day, take Kate Cunningham because that's what we all want you to do. Um, so we get before we get to Kate the player. Still, what have you thought about the way he has seemed to embrace Detroit? Um, not just the music stuff, but the sunglasses. Um, you know, he talks about the bad boys. 
Uh, I saw today it came out that he's going to get to wear number two, which of course is retired by Chuck Daly, but you know, he thanked the family and all that. I just, I feel like he's gone about this in a really, really good way. He seems excited to be in Troy. Maybe he would be no matter where he was going, but what do you think about that? Uh, I think, I think it's a good move on his part. Um, I do kind of think that he has done a good job of like solidifying himself as the guy that the fans like wanted to take number one overall. Um, and like that, that's definitely some element of it. Um, but I think like, so you, something that Troy Weaver said in the press conference today, introducing him was that like, you, you can't question who he is as a person. Right. And so it seems like this, this type of like identification and, and leadership um, with the city and like with the team that he's going to be a, a major part of moving forward is just something that comes naturally to him. Right. Um, and so that like, that's, that's a really big deal. And that's really cool to see, honestly, I can't, it, I, Detroit fans have been uh, thirsty for something like that. I can't remember the last time that um, like a draft pick has uh, like, so like become so like taken with the city um, from like the basketball side. And I think that like, that's a really big deal as well. People, people need to feel wanted. Right. And Kate has done an excellent job of making fans feel like uh, they matter to him. Oh yeah. As, I mean, he plays to the crowd. He plays to the fans. He plays to the city and the heart of the city and, and at what it means to be a piston or live in Detroit. And I mean, I, I think it can be one of two things. Either he's smart enough to know the right things to say, or it's all genuine. And for me, I, as a fan, I don't really care either way because I think that's a good sign for what he can do when it comes to a locker room. I think some of that stuff does apply and translate to he seems like the type of guy that's going to be a leader. He's going to be able to galvanize people. Um, I had Matt Derry on, as I said, and I think he used the he has a lot of cachet. Like he just has a personality that's infectious, and I always say like magnetism. Like you, you, when he's talking, you want to listen and you like what he says, and I think that stuff is important when you're talking about a guy who may be the face of your franchise for the next 10 to 15 years hopefully no for sure i know and like the other thing i think is that a lot of his him and his people have been very accessible right you've seen a lot of like the his trainers been like dming with pistons fans right uh like about like music choices and, and about the buffs right his brother has been like dming with fans about like how how much like they love the city and how much they feel appreciated and so i think that uh you know getting getting buy-in from the people around him as well on that front has also been like a, a really important part of this process. And like, that's not to say that like if the Pistons had chosen Jalen green, the city like wouldn't have embraced him. Right. But I think that, uh, I think that the, everybody, everybody involved, like wanted, really wanted this to happen. Cade wanted to take on to Detroit and Detroit really wanted Cade. So I think that it's a good marriage, right? Absolutely. I think that, you know, it's a good fit. I think they fit well together, you know, all the way back. I always like to retweet. It was, um, you know, obviously Troy Weaver's quote about emptying the clip and then Cade Cunningham had a quote about that in a game where he didn't shoot the ball very well. And, you know, I always like to mesh those two together and just kind of, you know, I, I just match made in heaven or, or whatever, you know. So uh, I, I think you're right. I think it's a great fit. Speaking of fit, what about his fit on this team? Let, let's just start with Killian Hayes. I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast. I've talked about it on other podcasts. I'm sure it's been talked about in the Detroit Bad Boys group chat. Do you personally, just your personal opinion, have any concerns or worries about his fit with Killian Hayes? No, none whatsoever. Because uh, I think his game is so uh, his game is so wide, right? He can do so many things in the basketball court that I think he fits seamlessly next to what you want out of Killian, like moving forward. Um, so I, I, he's a point guard, yes, but he the, the they took the ball out of his hands a lot at Oklahoma State. And he was fine with that, right? Like, he could still impact the game in other ways without necessarily having the ball in his hands. Um, but, like, in those clutch minutes, uh, you know, in those, like, last few minutes of, of close games, like, they, they gave the ball to him and, like, said, like, go create, like, and go take us home. And he was able to do that as well. And so I don't think necessarily that, like, him and Killian's games are, like, antagonistic towards one another. I think they can complement each other um, in a lot of different ways. And I think that, they're both such great passers. And to me, that points to both of them just having such great feel for the game. And it's really tough for me to imagine that two like high feel players like that, like won't be able to like quote unquote, get along on the basketball court. Right. Like those, those two guys are so uh, intelligent. They'll find a way to make it work. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great point about their basketball IQ. And as long as the jump shot for Killian especially comes around, like we're uh, – Again, it's a there's a it's a perfect. I don't. It's not a perfect fit. It's a really good fit, and there shouldn't be any worries. Cade shot over forty percent from three. It's it's kind of funny to me the things that go unmentioned or or people don't focus on. Like he shot forty percent from three, so he's a good shooter. Killian, it can come around. Hopefully, we'll see an improvement, maybe even in summer league. But you brought up the basketball IQ, so I want to bring up a quote that I believe Matt Derry again. He tweeted out from uh, Troy Weaver that. Troy Weaver compared Cade Cunningham's basketball IQ to that of Larry Bird. I, I, for me, growing up and what I understood Larry Bird as a player, that's really, really high praise. What did you think about whenever you heard that quote? Yeah, that, that kind of blew my mind because, like, A, it's not often you see the cross-racial comparison, right? And you, you don't also see guys compared to Bird very often just because Bird was – Bird's like you know revered so highly among like the basketball elite that you you don't see uh, guys compared to him that often. So I thought I thought that was like really uh, really spoke to like again like Kate's feel for the game and then what he can and can't uh, accomplish on the court. I was really I was blown away when I heard that. And like Troy Weaver's a smart dude, right? Like he's not making that comparison lightly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, Troy Weaver seems like a very calculated person who's not just going to, you know, get into the spur of the moment and all of a sudden throw out a comparison to Larry Bird um, and then have to backtrack later or answer right. for it or whatever, you know. And it's not like he compared him to a Piston. I mean, it's it's the Celtics, you know, again. So there's a whole nother level to, to it as well. So, like, I have to believe it was very calculated and a comparison that had been brought up and talked about a lot in, you know, the front office. So I, you brought up something about his clutch scoring. So I, I do. I think he plays off the ball a lot. I know that worries people um, on Detroit Bad Boys. I had a breakdown where I showcased where he can play off the ball and still end up the main option in a set. But I think those clutch buckets, I I love Jeremy Grant. I've talked about this multiple times. I don't know that he's that quote unquote closer. And Cade Cunningham led college basketball in clutch uh, points last year. So um, is that the thing you think he brings most to the team? Or is there something else in his game that you're really excited about that you think he really brings next season? Yeah, I think the shot making is the main thing that he has that the team did not have last year, right? Uh, like we, you know, we're we're both big fans of what Jeremy Grant offered the team last year, and he had that in in flashes, right? I'm thinking like the Chicago game uh, where he dueled Zach Levine, right? Um, the the shot over Lowry to to take the to take the win against the Raptors, um, and so it's not like Jeremy Grant like didn't make or didn't try and take those shots, but like the that's not uh, that's not the like the basketball role he had been playing for like the previous five years, right? So it was a little bit tough to evaluate like whether or not he's quote unquote like built for it. And uh, you know, they, the Pistons didn't play a lot of close games <laughs> last year. If we're if we're being perfectly honest down the stretch, but like the the shot making and the ability to get where he wants to get on the floor. And just like rise up and fire over people, whether that's from you know 18 feet, whether that's from 28 feet, um, and, and feel comfortable like regardless of shot distance is like the main thing I think. Uh, the main thing I think of that like Kate adds that the Pistons like didn't have last year. Absolutely. So before we we move on to some of the the other moves that were made on draft night, the second round picks and the Plumlee trade, one more question about Cade Cunningham, and that's on the defensive end. There's I think people have started to talk about it more and more. You have a 6'5 Killian, a 6'8 Cade Cunningham. Are you as high on their defensive abilities as what others are? Do you see it maybe down the road? Are you as excited about that? Uh, I don't I don't think Cade is going to be like some like shutdown corner, right? I don't think he's going to be like some uh, infallible two-way guy. But I do think because of his size, he won't be able to be like picked on in a playoff setting. A la, like, you know, I'm thinking about, like, LeBron, like, you know, bringing uh, Cade's guy, like, up to the level of the screen and being like, I want to attack Cade, like, over and over again at, at the end of a close game. Like, I don't I don't think that's how uh, his career is going to go. And so, like, that, that feels nice. And I think, like, something that was, like, really clear to me about the finals uh, between, like, Phoenix and Milwaukee was that it's it's less about having – like amazing high quality like on ball or team defensive players and more about like just like not having many weaknesses to exploit on that end uh, in the playoffs like teams try so hard to exploit like matchups 
And so if you just don't give them any obvious matchups to exploit, you can get a lot of mileage out of that from uh, from a defensive perspective. And so I think Cade's, Cade's inability to be, like, singularly focused on on that end, like, already, like, kind of makes him, like, a, a perfectly fine defender. Absolutely. I agree with that. So Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft, who I've had on a couple times, says that like pretty much as long as you're not a negative defender, you're as long as you're a neutral defender, you're fine in this league. Yeah, there's some guys that are obviously plus defenders. Drew Holiday was big time, I thought, defensively in that finals. But as long as you're not a negative defender, then you're not really going to hurt your team. So I thought that was a great point there. Yeah. And if you're if you're not a negative defender and you're like, you know, taking all the on-ball creation reps that like Kate is taking. Right? That's a good point. If, as long as you're bringing something very valuable offensively, that's a good point. There's a good caveat to that as well. All right, let's move to the second round. And the first thing was the pick that did not happen at number 37. Were you as shocked as everybody else? I was shocked by this. Uh, okay, let me back up for just a second. I wasn't shocked that Plumlee got traded. I got shocked that Plumlee was traded and we had to move down 20 spots because I thought we were going to use Plumlee to get back into the first round. Were you as surprised by that? And, you know, or do you feel the way some Pistons fan that this was just like a complete failure of a signing? Uh, no, I definitely don't think this is a complete failure of a signing. It was a little weird. I, I'm like, my thing was at the time, I thought it was clearing out cap space to use cap space to absorb like another bad contract to get back into the first round, right? So probably can't trade Mason Plumlee for a first round pick, but if you have, you know, but if by trading Mason Plumlee, you open up $15 million in cap space, you take on like a James Johnson or something and you get a first round pick for your trouble. Like I, I could have seen that and that would have been fine. That's not what ended up happening. And so like now we need to wait to see what the Pistons do with that cap space, right? I think this is this is the lesson from last offseason with Troy Weaver, right? Is just like you you can't judge each of these moves individually. You got to wait until the whole mosaic is done, right? Um, and I think that that's one thing that we we've seen out of Troy Weaver. You cannot uh, he he does not do like an amazing job of playing like the red paperclip asset game. You know the red the red the red paperclip, right? The guy trades a red paperclip for like a balloon. He trades a balloon for oh, yeah, like a yeah. sandwich and eventually yep. like you work your way all the way up to like a house or whatever. Yeah, I like, got you. That's that's not Troy Weaver, right? Like Troy Weaver is an identifier of talent, not like a like asset accumulator. I think sometimes that frustrates a lot of fans because um asset accumulation is like the the focus of a lot of like content that people do. Like, you know, it's easy to do podcasts about like asset accumulation it's easy to do like uh discussions about like oh like what could all these 16 first round oklahoma city picks like turn into right it's it's easy to do like speculation about that um so like troy weaver seems very much like a guy who's as long as i get my guys on the court like we're gonna be good and like that that's what he's more concerned about than like playing the the asset accumulation game and so like yeah like this is this is uh, a way to open up cap space we'll see what that cap space gets us and like once we see that like then i can like reserve judgment on like whether or not the the, the this latter like plumley trade like was uh was kind of was kind of worth it but like yeah uh, mason plumley and the 37th overall pick to move down 20 spots it's weird oh, no i'm not gonna lie yeah, so that I'm glad, so glad you brought up the Oklahoma City Thunder because as I saw them, woke up to them acquiring another first round pick this morning. Um, I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. help, I, I couldn't help but be like, what is going on that they're gonna do with all these first round picks? Like at some, like to me, it's like Sam Presti just going, huh? I wonder if I can end up with 50 first round picks. And it does seem like you explained it there with with Troy Weaver, who came obviously from that organization. It does seem like there's a different mentality in the way him and Sam Presti do things. Because to me, it's just like the Thunder just to keep accumulating, keep accumulating. Where Weaver has very specific guys he's gonna go after, and he's gonna make the moves to make that happen. Yeah, I did. I did a podcast. Uh, I did the uh, the draft live stream with some uh, Oklahoma City Thunder uh, podcasters on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and uh, it was really funny to watch them like in the moment be like, "Oh, like hey, they traded they traded one of the picks they got uh, the first round pick they got in the Kemba trade. They traded that for two future firsts," um, and they're like, "Like okay, cool, but like we we need some big men, right? Like we got to fill out this roster now. Like when does it end?" Um, but at the same time, right? Like they they all kind of know. That team is not gearing. That team is not necessarily like gearing up to win uh, in 35 games like this Pistons team is either, right? And so it's just like it's just two different uh, styles and two different like places where where their teams are at moving forward. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. I just I want to see what the end game is for the Oklahoma City Thunder. But and like I want to see. I'm very intrigued. I don't know if you have any. I don't want to say speculation, but um, what you think the end game is with this Mason Plumlee move? Do you think it was? Do you think that we're going to be go be a, a player in the free agent market? Was it maybe just to maybe resign Hami and Frank and our own guys? What what do you think? Because I do. I feel like we have a hole at the five spot now behind Isaiah Stewart, or maybe even in front of Isaiah Stewart, depending on what you think about him. So, do you have a, a thought and opinion on what you think that may be the end game with this move? I think I like. I, I think it might be to to resign Hami, or just to make sure you have enough money to resign Hami. Um, just like looking at this year's free agency class, it's not extremely strong, right? I don't. There's nobody out there right now that I was like, oh, the Pistons really should uh, make room. They really should make like uh, like a $18 million a year offer to this guy because it's going to take him over the top, right? There's nobody really in that class who I think is a, who is both like obtainable for this team that would come to Detroit and that like the Pistons should be interested in from like a, a development and timeline perspective. And so like, yeah, it it's a little weird. Um, I do think like I do think this opens up minutes for Isaiah Stewart to be the starter. I think that was the intent. Uh, I think like part of the reason they had they felt like they had to trade Plumlee was because Stewart was much much better uh, right away than they expected. I think this is like this is probably the plan. Like when they signed Plumlee, it's probably going to be the plan in like year two, right? Like Stewart's going to start year two, but he was much, he was more ready to to go than they they imagined, and so they could they could trade him after only one year. Um, and yeah, so the, and the original my uh, my original plan, I guess, of still using the salary cap money to to take on a quote unquote bad salary for some future draft assets, like that's still a possibility as well, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, the draft that just happened. Like, you, you can still do that if if it comes up. But yeah, I think the the way that they've spoken about this offseason being uh, a occasion to prioritize their own free agents makes me think that, you know, this is opening, this is a move to open up playing time for Isaiah Stewart and perhaps Luca Garza, one of the other guys and, uh, you know, salary space to sign Hamadou Diallo. Yeah. So, so you brought up the name cause so let's, I think it's interesting what could happen behind Stewart if there isn't another move for a five-man. I mean, do you, do they try to go play small and play Sekou there? I don't think that's the answer. Maybe Tyler Cook, he's undersized. Uh, but let's talk about Luca Garza. I, you know, I know we're skipping around the second, and we'll get back to Isaiah Livers, guys, I promise. But Luca Luca got brought up. He's probably the most polarizing pick in this draft, which doesn't surprise me because I took him as an undrafted free agent in a mock draft I did, and Pistons fans did not like that. So um, what are your initial thoughts on Luca Garza. So, first, I want to start off by saying, like, it's the fifty-second overall pick, right? Like, if it doesn't work, it's, it's okay. It's, yeah, it's okay. Like, it's not the craziest thing in the world. Um, what I what I said on my podcast post draft, and what I want to say again here because I believe it. So, like, just because Troy Weaver does not share like my taste in big men, uh, doesn't mean that this was like necessarily a, a wrong decision. But I do think that. It's interesting that we've seen like the type of big man that Troy Weaver likes to bring in are like these uh, more groundbound, early, post move uh, with like shooting upside type of guys. Not um, jumpy jump guys. Not jumpy jump guys <laughs> at all. Um, but, and, but you know, after watching a little bit of tape on Garza, he was much more effective as a pick and popper and as a as a pick and roll finisher, with, even without the verticality than I expected. Which I mean, like. He scored like 25 points a night in the Big Ten. Like I should have, I should I should have seen that coming, right? That he was pretty, he was pretty good at as an offensive player. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's interesting. The shooting is definitely the most interesting aspect of what he has to offer. Um, I think he's like a, a really interesting. If he's going to be a backup center, which I think is like his future NBA destiny, the post up thing is like really interesting because. There's going to be a lot fewer centers, backup centers in the NBA that will be able to handle like that level of dexterity and uh, touch in the post. So it's like that. That's an interesting like offensive like wrinkle to be able to throw at teams. But the main concern is the defense, right? He was uh, he was really bad in space uh, defensively for Iowa. So bad, I think that you immediately kind of wonder if he forces the team to play zone or like alters the way you have to think about putting personnel around him if you're going to put him on the court, right? You 
you you can't have like a, a bad point of attack like point guard and Luca Garza at the, on the floor at the same time because like that's just like you're gonna die in one five pick and rolls the entire the entire time and like that's that's a that's a really big like fault line to build your your bench defense on right and so it's really going to be up to him whether or not he can add some mobility through like a strength and conditioning regiment whether or not um, the Pistons can surround him with personnel that's better equipped to to play like team defense at the NBA level, but yeah, it's, it's he's got some very clear strengths and some very clear weaknesses, and so I think that makes it easy to kind of say like whether or not this is going to work. Yeah, I mean, and I, so my thing is, I think the offensive skill set is good enough that I was, ex- I don't want to say I was excited, but I was fine with the pick because you're right. I think there's something to playing a guy 10, 12 minutes a game and having a guy you can throw it to on the post who's going to be as efficient as him. And he can still step out and run a, a screen and pop and knock down a three or space the floor. My two biggest things, and I'm, I'm very excited to do some film breakdown on him, is the defense, as you just outlined. I thought bringing up the zone um, possibility was a great point there, especially with the length of the second unit even with Hami, Josh Jackson, Sekou, you could execute a zone there. Um, but I want to see if he's as good, a, if he's a better passer than what his assist numbers show. Because every, whenever you say a skilled big man, I think everybody thinks uh, passing along with everything else, the shooting and the post game. But his assist numbers didn't show it. And he played with some good shooters there at Iowa. So I, I'm going to be a little disappointed if I dive into film and don't see him as a good short roll passer the way Mason Plumley was. Yeah, I think they didn't, Iowa didn't really ask him to be like a short roll guy. Okay, right? it was, okay. It was like you know, hey, face up, uh, go to your move, make a decision, go from there. Uh, he he, I think he did a he did an okay job of hitting guys on cuts, but like he wasn't like spraying the ball around the perimeter to uh, to open shooters, right? I, so I think like that that can that's definitely an area he can improve on uh, moving forward. But yeah, but he yeah, he's definitely not like a a threat in the short roll, right? So uh, continuing with the second round, I think there was a theme with with these guys, and that's guys that could shoot. So so Cade shot over forty percent from three. Garza shot over forty percent from three. And our first second round pick uh, from Michigan, Isaiah Liver, shot over forty percent from three. What, what what did you like that pick? I, I all of a sudden very quickly the this guy reminds me a little bit of Sadiq Bay comments started coming out. Is that something you see? And uh, maybe obviously not to that extent, but the, the same type of game maybe coming in from the second unit. Yeah, I think I think he might be a better shooter than Sadiq, but I think that might be the only thing he's better than Sadiq at is shooting. Um, he was an excellent catch and shoot uh, three point player at Michigan. Uh, good range ball gets out of his hands really quickly um not not like a huge dip and so like you could tell um it's like if he's in rhythm the shot's going up and like most of the time he's going to hit it and that's really impressive but he but uh didn't really do he like he started to add some of putting the ball on the floor and like michigan had some really creative sets to get like him and franz like moving downhill like with screens with an open lane um, to like cut down on the decisions he did, like he had to make. It's like that stuff is interesting, but like I don't want to. I don't think he can do the the like sidestep threes that we saw like Sadiq pull off in the second half of this year, right? I don't think he. I can do. I don't think he can do like the one the one dribble uh, like pull up uh, sidestep threes like off of a off of a guy going under that we see Sadiq do or like a Duncan Robinson do. Um, like, I don't think that's in Isaiah Livers' game, like, currently. That's something I hope he adds, but, like, that's not there currently. So, for right now, what I think you can expect for Isaiah Livers is, like, if he's in the corner and you're running, you know, Cade, Killian, Cade or Killian uh, pick and rolls and he's just, like, standing on the weak side with his hands ready, is like, the defense has to pay attention to that. Like, that's his role for right now. And I think that's a that's a really important role. The The team definitely needed another standstill catch and shoot like threat um on the perimeter like you need to surround Cade and Killian with as much shooting as possible to get the most the most out of both those guys offensively but I'm not sure 
I mean, like livers still has like a ways to go to do anything kind of besides that at the NBA level. Yeah, and I, I, I'm glad you highlighted what Sadiq Bay did as a shooter because uh, in my breakdown for the exit interviews for the Detroit Bad Boys, that's what I wanted to highlight was it wasn't just catch and shoot with Sadiq, especially as the year went on. It was in transition. It was off one dribble. It was the sidestep on the move type threes. And uh, there is a major difference um, for anybody that's played the game. Um, the, the, the level of difficulty increases very quick whenever you're talking about on the move, off the bounce, and those things. But he, that is a role, like having a guy that can keep the floor spaced um, whenever there's action happening in the middle, you know, like ball screen. I assume we're going to see a ton of ball screen stuff. And so if we can put a, a guy that can keep the floor spaced along with Cade, Killian, Isaiah, Sadiq Bay, Frank Jackson, those guys, I think that is huge. No, absolutely. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, the other thing with, uh, with, with Livers is I liked what I saw like defensively in some spots, but I did kind of worry about the injury history on that end, right? Like the, he said, like, what, like a groin injury, he had a foot injury, like a knee injury, like in his junior year. And so I do, I do kind of wonder if he can still like move well enough laterally to not get like blown by all the time. I think that like how, how he plays on defense uh, is going to determine whether or not he ends up kind of being like a, a guy who you feel comfortable starting or if a guy you're, you're more comfortable bringing up off the bench. So as before we get to the last couple guys, the last pick in the second round, and then one undrafted free agent, I just want to talk about a little bit. So I, I feel like the, the, the Pistons had three major needs, uh, big holes, I guess. Uh, one was was the star, which Cade. I'm not saying he's going to be right away, but hopefully that's what he is. Shooting, I feel like we tried to, Troy Weaver addressed that as much as possible. And I, I know we kind of joke about the jumpy jump guy, but I'm all in on that. I, I would have put, I, I have that pretty high on the needs list. Do you just think, you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, that, that Weaver just doesn't see the need for that? Do you think maybe it just hasn't fallen right? Maybe we're over uh, overstating that? Because I, I think that's uh, something that we're missing right now. And unless it's Tyler Cook, I don't see it on the roster. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It definitely doesn't seem like something they prioritize right like that's that's an element that mason plumley kind of added but that's not why they brought him in right they didn't bring him in to be like a uh, an amazing like pick and roll finisher they brought him in because this passing ability and his ability to kind of create things for others and uh make uh make life easier for his guards without uh like you know rolling really hard to the rim um yeah i i, I do think it would be i think it would be useful for the team to have like one guy who, who specializes in that but uh, yeah, again, like that just does not seem like the type of big man that Troy Weaver, uh, you know, gravitates towards. And so, like, we'll we'll see. Um, Tyler, like you, you brought up Tyler Cook. I don't know if Tyler Cook has a has a like a long term future on this roster, but like he like, he sort of qualifies uh, with that like vertical uh, role man athleticism. He he also like plays. Uh, he plays really hard, and so you do imagine that like Troy Weaver does enjoy that, that he plays really hard. But yeah, I, I do think that's one one thing that both of us kind of identified going to the, into the offseason that the team did not do a great job of addressing. But ultimately, for me, I think the shooting was more important than the the vertical lob threat guy. Like if you if you made me if you made me say like you only get one right. You get the star with Cade and you only get one of shooting or vertical lob threat. I probably would have chosen the shooting. Yeah, for sure. I I, I, I think I kind of said the opposite a second ago, but I actually would agree with that. I'll, I'll go ahead and change course just a couple of minutes later. I would agree with that. I think shooting um, definitely was a major, major need. So before we move on to just the NBA in general and talk about the draft as a whole, uh, Balsa Kaparivica, again, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that name and I apologize. Um Last pick in the second round for the Pistons. Uh, much information on him, Laz. Have you have you heard much? Have you dived into it much, or talked to anybody about what he may bring to the table? Uh, I've watched a little bit of what like what I could grab of him. the The immediate thing that stood out. So it's like I watched Luca Garza first, and then I like tried to move on to him. And it's just like immediately you could tell he was much less stiff than Garza. He's much more uh, fluid and athlete. Um, much more, uh, much more equipped to to operate in like multiple defensive coverages at the NBA level. And so like that, that was kind of encouraging to see. Um, he, he, he jumps well. He's got good hands for uh, a seven footer. 
And one thing you know from uh, from the school choice from Leonard Hamilton at Florida State, like he's going to have those guys like ready to play and ready to embrace uh, whatever their role is. And so like I know like because he went to Florida State, like I know he's got that much going for him uh, at least. But I don't think I think this is a long term play. I don't think we see uh, mu- I don't think we see much of uh Balsa in the uh, in the NBA this year. This feels like this feels like um, like this feels like Garza. We see sometimes in the, with the Pistons. Balsa feels like we see most of the time um, with the Crews. But like he's an interesting G League, uh, you know, pick in that way. And so I would I don't I don't mind it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think he sees much time in the NBA this season. I agree. You know, I, I realized something the other night, you know, I saw the name and um, just with, with guys from overseas in general, I know he played at Florida State and I think it said he's been in the United States since he was 16. But, you, you know, a lot of times you think draft and stash and I kind of realized thinking last night, like, I don't know how much that's going to happen anymore with the G League, right? Like, I mean, that, that's the whole point of the G League now is you can draft these guys and keep them here and play with your affiliate. And so uh, I don't know how much quote unquote draft and stash is going to happen anymore. Yeah, I don't. Well, especially for a guy who's already been in this country for a long time. Like, if he if he was like doing a, a Servetus, right, where he was he was overseas. You you have his you draft his rights. He stays overseas and continues to play for the the parent club or whatever, and you bring him over when he's ready. But uh, but yeah, directly out of college. So like, yeah, I'm I'm thinking he's gonna sign a. I don't know I don't know exactly the the mechanics of how that's going to work, but I do think that they're gonna they're gonna hold his rights. He's gonna play most of the time with the crews. So, so one final player um, before we move to the NBA, and that's Chris Smith, uh, 6A out of UCLA, coming off an ACL injury. Um, again, one of the thing, the best things I like about being a part of the Detroit Bad Boys now is the group chat where we get to talk about all these things, and his name kind of came up today. Uh, I've heard from a couple guys that a uh, draft guy I talked to that I've met through Twitter that he possibly could have been a first-round prospect had it not been for that injury, that he may have been the best player on that UCLA team. And, and so I know ACL injuries are, are can be problematic, but it is 2021. It's not 20, 30 years ago where it was career-threatening. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by this, Laz. I'm trying to not get too excited, but there's a lot of intrigue with this player. No, absolutely. This is this is uh, another like 6'8", uh, shot creator, shot maker type of guy, and you you really like the swing, right? Like maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Uh, like maybe it's because of the injury, maybe it's just because like of of the talent. But like this is the type of swing you like to see uh, your basketball team take. Um, you think about we're going to talk about the rest of the draft uh, in a little bit. Um, but you think about like a guy like Zaire Williams out of Stanford. Um, who had like a really bumpy, uh, a really bumpy college career, uh, like due to COVID, due to an injury, um, you know, didn't shoot 30% from three, shot like 29% from three, but still managed to be a top 10 pick because the 6'8 uh, shot maker, like archetype is so potentially valuable in today's NBA that like it's worth the swing on a guy with, with uh, like his, uh, you know, recruiting history and, uh, and potential like talent level. Like Chris Smith is just like a, an, an older version of that, right. With like a little bit more injury history in, in the rear view mirror. But like, yeah, if, uh, if he had stayed healthy, it was like, I believe he was like a top 40 prospect going into last year's draft. He decided to go back to school to, you know, solidify in, in getting into the first round had the injury occur. Um, and so, you know, this is potentially like a guy who maybe could have worked his way into the first round that you're going to get as an undrafted free agent, like after he fully re- recovers from the ACL injury. So I, I am also really excited, but like with the knowledge that like much like Garza, much like Balsa, like this is a very like low risk or like low opportunity cost, uh, like swing for the team. But like, I, I like the fact that like they're trying to fill that like six, eight shot maker, like mold with, uh, with one of their undrafted free agency signings. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like they've created a lot of competition there in the second unit with a, not all similar. So I don't want, like, I realize they don't all play the exact same position, but between Hami, JJ, Sekou, Isaiah Livers, Chris Smith, like you have, you have guys there that like, you're going to have to show up. You're gonna have to work every day. And I realize some guys are going to have more opportunity than others. And some of these guys are going to end up in the G league, but you've given yourself options there. Um, that if Livers is a knockdown shooter, or Chris Smith really recovers from this injury, like because like you said, that's a very valuable um, archetype in today's NBA. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like 
you think about like in the long term, right? Like Josh Smith is on, or Josh Smith. Oh my goodness, Josh Jackson. <laughs> Josh Jackson's only under contract for, for one more year, year yep. right? And uh, like I know, and he's native Detroiter, and like he he did some great things this year. He also did some not so great things this year for for the Pistons. And so like you you look at Chris Smith is kind of like a logical extension of like what you're hoping to get out of Josh Jackson, like in the future. Right. And so like maybe maybe you get uh Chris Smith in the G League this year, Josh Smith in the in, for the Pistons this year. Or Josh Jack I did it again. Wow. Josh Jackson, uh for for the Pistons this year. And then you kinda you kinda flip those two moving forward, right? You 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 let Josh Jackson go and you see what uh Chris Smith or yeah, Chris Smith kinda takes that takes over that position for the team. It's like yeah, it's uh it's it's intriguing, right? There there are options. Absolutely. And I, I just I, I say it on every podcast, I feel like but I just love that we seem to have a vision. Like Troy Weaver has a vision, he has a plan, and, and I keep using the word hope and excitement because it just it's nice to know that your your GM, your organization, your front office has a vision and you can continue to see it play out. Whether you agree with it or not, lads, uh, we just talked about it. Maybe we, we value these jumpy jump guys more than what they do, but at the end of the day, I, it, they know more than me. That's why they're doing that. And so I, I can get behind and support and be excited about the fact there's a vision, there's a type of guy, there's a, a quote unquote piston type player. And it, it just, it makes me really excited. Yeah. What, one thing I think is like, if, is, uh, if you have a vision and you try and like fulfill that vision, you, you can end up like squabbling with like whether or not like the individual like picks or individual players, like uh, if you made the right decisions, but like you, you can always say like we followed a plan, right? We 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 made the choices we made like for a reason. Uh, versus like you look at, uh, well, I guess to to transition into the 2021 NBA draft talk, right? You look at a team like Sacramento, right? Who drafted? Oh my gosh, Davion Mitchell to to go to be a defensive point guard, but they have like three or four other point guards on the roster. Their best player is a point guard. They just drafted Tyrese Halliburton last year, and it's just like what what is the plan? Right, like what, what, like how is this, like even in, uh, even like the best case scenario, like like how is this supposed to work? Um, and it, it feels good to not have to like ask those questions as long as you are, you know, following a set vision of like how the team should be constructed. Yeah, so that, that's a great transition into here for the next 15, 20 minutes. We're going to talk about the NBA draft in general. And so my best friend who listened to the podcast brought it up too. That, you know, on the on the ESPN broadcast, they said that the Sacramento Kings are an analytic based organization. And he brought up, well, analytic based organizations don't draft really old players in the draft. And Davian Mitchell was one of the older players. You know, so it's just a, it, again, it just it makes you really appreciate the fact that we seem to have an organization right now with Troy Weaver in a front office that has a vision is going to stick to it and we can really believe in. Um, but let's start here. I want to start with the biggest surprise at the draft. I have my two. If, if you take one or both of them, that's OK. I know you, you know, you looked at the outline as well. Um, but what was the biggest surprise where, did, you know, either where it started or anywhere in the draft? Uh, I think like the first initial surprise was definitely like Scotty Barnes at four. I think that uh, I think that like that definitely started to let you know like what kind of direction we were going in for the draft, and then I think from there the second biggest surprise for me and the thing I immediately pointed out on Twitter is like oh I wouldn't done that was uh, Jonathan Kaminga to the Warriors at seven not because like I think Kaminga is going to be a bad player right I, like I I was really optimistic about Kaminga coming into the G League season he really struggled but I understand like why he would still be. Uh, very interesting to an NBA team, but the Warriors are trying to win now, and that is a guy who's likely not going to help you win basketball games right away. And so I really thought that that was uh, that was an interesting selection by the front office. It made it even more interesting when we learned that from Bob Myers that like Draymond Green's like texting him from Tokyo from the Olympics to to draft Kaminga to draft. That, that doesn't guys. make any sense because yeah. Draymond was the one that came <laughs> out about having whenever you have these guys you win now or something right like kind of throwing James Wiseman under the bus or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that that did not make a lot of sense. It was like, oh, okay, man, like maybe, like, you know, Draymond's the ultimate recruiter, right? And like, he's a very, very, got a very uh, great basketball mind. 
It's like he, he must he must see something, right? But yeah, that is that is not the pick I expected out of the uh, the Golden State Warriors with that first selection. The second selection, Moses Moody made a lot more sense. That's that's a guy I think is a little bit more pro ready. Absolutely. So I think I think everybody would agree. I think if you pretty much ask this question to anybody, I don't know that anybody had Scotty Barnes at number four. I think you had started to see some talk about him moving up into to number five. I think what surprised me even more, and I'm not necessarily super high on Scotty Barnes. We can talk about that in a second, but I just thought Jalen Suggs was a perfect fit for Toronto. And maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe Kyle Lowry's going to end up staying in Toronto. Um, but I just thought that was a great transition into Jalen Suggs. I thought he was a perfect fit. And so that one really surprised me, not just because Scotty Barnes went so high, but because I thought Suggs was such a good fit. Yeah, I, I was, we're, we're now getting reports, right, that Suggs um, did not have like an amazing workout for Toronto and maybe like quietly like didn't want to play in Canada for some reason it's like maybe maybe that had something to do with it um but yeah i think like i thought it was interesting because like uh Suggs would be a really good fit but they just drafted Mal- malachi Flynn last year and he was also kind of like this pick and roll playmaker who did did a lot of really good things for them i like him i like him Laz. yeah and so it was like you you uh with well, like with uh fred van fleet and malachi Flynn like in the fold, you kind of understand why they felt like they didn't need another like point guardy type of individual. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and then, and then that leads you to like, well, what do they need? And so, uh, you know, even with, well, they have like Siakam's injured to start the year, I believe like with the, with the labrum. Um, and you, you could always use more versatile six, eight dudes, right? There, there's a world in which like Scotty Barnes like plays a lot of center for the Raptors right away because like that's that's the position that's the position of need for them. And then you're looking like a, a Scotty Barnes, you know, Pascal Siakam, OJ Ananobi like front court. Like that is like that seems really interesting defensively, right? Like less uh maybe less interesting offensively, but like really interesting defensively for what like Nick Nurse wants to do on that end of the floor. And so like yeah, you you under you understand it. Uh, a little bit more but it was that didn't make it any less surprising in the moment right no that's that's uh, I have a hard time with Scotty Barnes and it's I think it's because I was a shooter and I value shooting so much and like I I, Laz I literally listen to people say like people will almost say he's never going to develop the shot and I know you can't put that on somebody but I'm like the whole NBA world crushes Ben Simmons because he can't shoot but yet we're good with Scotty Barnes getting drafted number four even though we'll readily admit he can't shoot. So I have nothing against Scotty Barnes, and it sounds like all the other things, he checks every other box. But I, I would have a hard time taking a guy at number four that high that that can't shoot or I don't believe is going to develop the shot. So you have to believe they think he, they can develop it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like, they've, and they've had success uh, developing non-shooters into guys who are passable right like that's part of the Siakam thing that's part of the OG Ananobi thing that uh, both of those guys like were not great shooters in college and they managed to get them into a good enough space to have a, a functioning offense and so you you understand like why they think they can do that with Scotty Barnes as well but like the thing that the difference between like Scotty Barnes and Ben Simmons is that Scotty Barnes isn't afraid to shoot right like he's no, not yeah, afraid yeah. To, to to play through contact to to initiate um in, in like late in games, he's not afraid to, you know, he's not afraid to have the ball in his hands and like late in the clock uh, to try and like make something happen. And like, I think that's, that's been the issue with Simmons is that he tends to shrink in some of these, these big moments. You, you think, you know, infamously of, of the, the dunk he passed up uh, in the, in the, uh, in the Eastern conference semifinals against Atlanta, just, he, he, you, you want you want a guy who's not going to do that, and <laughs> it doesn't seem like Scotty Barnes is. I'm I'm sold. I have no idea. I don't have any insider information whatsoever. But I was sold that it was all something mentally. Ben Simmons, you know, it it went the the the, men, the mental side of it went for him there. Um, you know, like just he he just it, it got to him. So whatever it was, whether it's the missed free throws or whatever it was, the pressure, whatever it was, it got to him. Um, and, and I, I do want to come back to that here at the end, but let's stay here in the, in the lottery. Just give me your best pick or best fit in the lottery. Who, who, what was your favorite pick, um, in the top 14? Uh, in the lottery. Yeah. Um, you can go the whole first round. Let's go the whole first round. Cause we're okay. anything, any pick in the first round. That's fine. I really liked the Hornets making a trade to pick up Kai Jones 
in the uh, in the first round, right? Like we we talk, we both talked about our love of jumpy jump guys. Kai Jones is a jumpy jump guy. That's about as jumpy jump as it gets. As a, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that seems that seems like a, a pairing between him and Lamelo Ball that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and like could also potentially be very few, uh, very fruitful. Like once Kai Jones gets to like a better handle on like what it means to play like you know high level basketball. So I thought so I thought that was a that was a really that was a really impressive swing out of Charlotte. I live in North Carolina. Charlotte gets made fun of a lot over the last couple of years with the past drafts. It was like you know they took the the most well established college player that Michael Jordan had watched, uh, and so like they they did, they did a great job of not doing that that this draft. And they came out with Book Knight and Jones, and I think that's like that's a really that's a really good night for Charlotte. They also made a, another pick. That yeah, JT Thor. I thought they. Oh, were, that's that's right. They ended up with Thor. Okay. Yeah, they 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 were one of my favorite drafts all around. And Book Knight was actually, and you'll know why because I'm high on Kai Jones as well. So Book Knight was my favorite pick. Um, you know, non piston pick, obviously, to the Hornets at number eleven. I thought that was a great pick. I think he's going to be a big time scorer, probably. Devonte Graham probably going to be on the outs now, right? He's restricted yeah, Malik free agent. Monk probably going to be on the outs now. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know, you get some scoring there, and so I really liked. I liked what the Hornets did in general. So, book night for me, Kai Jones for you. I think we both like what the Hornets did. We already talked about Davion Mitchell, number nine to the Kings, not really liking that fit. Were there any other picks that were real head scratchers to you in the first round? Oh yeah, Josh Primo at twelve to, to San Antonio. That was. I, I like I, I confess Josh Primo is like not a guy I was very familiar with. Um, uh, like I wasn't really familiar with his game like coming into the draft, and so to see a guy whose game I'm not familiar with at all go in the go in the lottery was just very surprising, right? Uh, ahead of guys like um, ahead of guys like like Moses Moody, ahead of guys you know like uh, like Trey Mann even it's just like like I know he's young. And I know he's got like upside, but like I don't know what he I don't know what he is I don't know what he does right now. And I don't I don't think San Antonio is like really pressed to be trying uh, competing right now. But even so, it felt like a a weird swing uh, to to take at twelve. Yeah, that's what I mean. You and I are in lockstep right now because I had Primo on there as well. Um, one other pick I do want to talk about that I really liked um, is uh, Bones Highland to the Nuggets. I really liked that pick. Um, for the Nuggets, a, a guy that can score the ball. They obviously lost um, R.J. Hampton in the trade for Aaron Gordon. So I'm not saying he replaces, but like, you know, just scoring. I'm not saying they're the same type of player, but uh, Bones got a lot of pub coming into the draft, a guy that can really score it, shoot it from deep. I kind of like that for a team, you know, getting Jamal Murray back next year. I, I like that pick for a team late in the first round. Yeah. I actually wanted to ask you about uh... – one of the picks you didn't like. I wanted to ask you why you didn't like the Zaire Williams pick to Memphis. I just, uh, I don't know. I guess maybe I don't know enough about him. I I guess I didn't see it. Um, The production wasn't there as they highlighted maybe, but it sounds like the talent is there. So I I do think I'm one of those guys that goes more with production. Um, And so I, I would have liked to see them just get a, a, a score, you know, like I think Memphis needs needed a score. So like, I think one of the main reasons is like, I would have picked James Booknight if I would have been in their position or even a Moses Moody, who I think guys are going to come in. And I guess I have more confidence that they're going to be able to score for that team off the bench next year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I definitely think like Moody and Booknight would have made more immediate impacts for the Grizzlies team next year. I, I, I do think Williams has higher upside than both of those guys. But yeah, that, that was a pick I really liked because like, like you, I identified that Memphis, Memphis is really fun for me to watch. Yeah. Like, yeah. I like that squad. That I like, I like watching, but like they, they were severely missing another shot creator, right? Like another guy besides John Morant and, and Dylan Brooks, who Dylan Brooks tried to fill that role, but did, didn't always work. And so, uh, you know, having another guy in the pipeline that they think can eventually get to a point where uh, 
they can produce offense like efficiently uh, in isolation situations and everything in late, later in games. Like I think that was like a really worthy swing for Memphis. So I really like that pick. Okay. I like to ask you about it. No, that 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 makes sense. And I, I think we're in the again. I think we feel the same about John Morant, but probably Dylan Brooks also. That maybe that's not quite his role, and maybe he'll fall yeah. into it. Maybe he'll develop into it. Uh, but maybe he was being asked to play an offensive role, just a step above what he's really comfortable with. And again, I'm huge on James Booknight. Um, so I think that was the biggest thing. It, it maybe not a knock on Williams as much as it was. Hey, Booknight's still on the board. Moses Moody who is kind of an NBA-ready scorer from what I've heard. Um, it was probably more had to do with who was still left on the board. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes more sense. Okay, so let's go to a, a trade that did happen, and then I want to talk real quick. We have about five minutes. We can go another five or ten minutes here. So a trade that did happen and a couple that didn't. The trade that happened, um, just a little bit of perspective on this trade. Russ, uh, Russell Westbrook to the Lakers for Kuzma, Harrell, KCP, and a, and a first-round pick. Uh, you can take it from the Wizards or Lakers perspective, Laz. I'm fine either way. What, do, what, what did you think about that? I, I thought it was weird for everybody involved, honestly. Like, I, I don't know what Washington is trying to do. Uh, they, they've gotten more flexible, right? They've gotten more, like, Harrell is an NBA player. KCP is a legit NBA player. They got an extra first-round pick. Um, they, they used that extra first-round pick on it was Isaiah Jackson. So, like, that's another guy who I think can help them. But, like, yeah, like, I don't. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, if when Bradley Beal comes back from the Olympics and like looks around in the locker room, like, what, what is he going to be really looking at? I, I don't know. I know what I want the Wizards to do, and that's to trade Daniel Gafford to the Pistons. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. That would be that would be great. I, yeah, I I'm, I'm a huge fan of Gafford. So yeah, Isaiah Jackson and Gafford, kind of kind of similar players. Okay, right? so you understand like so maybe why, Gafford's uh, why they maybe do that. Yeah, maybe Gafford's expendable now. So. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, that that to me was uh, was pretty interesting because it's just like, what are what are the Wizards doing? And then from from the Lakers' perspective, yeah, it's just like uh, they're indexing for talent more so than for fit. Um, we'll, we'll see if that ends up working. Uh, it sounds like a condition of this trade was that like Anthony Davis is going to play a lot more center, and like that, I, like I hope Good. so because like, yeah. yeah, like that's that's gonna that's gonna have to be what it is. But like, yeah, the for the now like the the part of me that's just like a, a, a amateur analyst is going to be really curious to see how the Lakers fill out the rest of that roster because I think like between Russ, LeBron, and AD, they basically like are already a luxury tax paying team with uh with like five guys on the roster basically. So it's like what are they going to do to like fill out the rest of this? Like I I'll, I'm be really curious about that. And, and who am I to judge any front office in the NBA? But I, I just don't understand the roster construction in LA, Laz, because I just think you put shooting around those guys. And I realize LeBron James is getting older and this takes some pressure off the playmaking for him and all of that, but I, I don't know. And they may get away with it because LeBron is so good and AD is so good if he doesn't get hurt. And I, I actually like Russ. This is no knock on Russ. I just think it's an awful clunky fit with no spacing. And I just think it's really, really poor roster construction. And now that I've said it, they'll probably win the championship. Um, <laughs> exactly right. But I, I just personally, I don't like it. Yeah. I, I, I like what the Lakers did, right. was like, even when they were winning the, the championship in the bubble, like they were leaning very heavily on what they could do defensively and what they could get out of their stars offensively. Right. Um, I think that, uh, I think that that's still kind of the plan is to play, like play, uh, play defense amazingly. And then just kind of like grind people out offensively and see where that takes you. Um, and like, I, I understand that. I don't know if it's going to work outside of the bubble, right? The, the, like the, the shot making from Anthony Davis, like in the bubble, as I, is I, something I don't know if it's like, that's replicable across like another, another playoff in a situation that's not, you know, as, as weird as the bubble was. And so we'll, like, that remains to be seen. I, I, I kind of, I can talk myself into the theory, but like I, that's not how I would have done it yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So here, just a couple minutes to finish up. I'm going to ask you one more question about trades that did not happen. And so that the, they kind of go hand in hand a little bit. Which one are you more surprised that didn't happen? And I, I realize that they, again, they, they kind of play together, but are you more surprised the Warriors didn't package 7-14 and possibly Wiseman, or are you more surprised the Sixers didn't get Ben Simmons traded? 
more definitely more surprised about the Warriors. It from what it sounds like, the Sixers asking price for Simmons is so exorbitant that like it, it makes it makes a lot of sense that like they they couldn't get a trade across the finish line. But the Warriors like seven and fourteen, seven and fourteen and Wiseman, right? Like it, you could have seen any one of those individual pieces getting traded for more uh, immediate like pro ready help, and none of them did. And like not in, in like in combination with one another and individually. And so it's just like, I thought, I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know if it was mandatory, especially once Moody, mo- once Moses Moody like fell to 14, I think that become like a lot less uh, mandatory, but yeah, I thought that was, uh, that was interesting. Like we, we could still see James Wiseman like be available. Like, you know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, so Steph Curry, I, I'm, I'm completely transparent. He's one of my favorite players in the league. So I do kind of have a, I don't want to say I root for the Warriors, but I definitely follow the Warriors and what's going on. And I just, I feel like they have a very, very small window left, you know, and, and who knows what Clay's going to have coming back. Uh, Draymond's game is obviously, I, I think, deteriorating. He still does all the other intangibles really well, but the offensive game has gotten pretty, you know, tough. And so I just, I thought they would go for it. I thought they would package whatever they had to go get another guy and, and try to make a run at it, you know, next year or for the next two years. And it, it just, it, again, this is where I wish we were privy to this information because you have to know they tried. So it'd be interesting to see what they tried, how close they were to getting and who those players could have been. No, absolutely. So Laz, we're, we're hitting right on 60 minutes now, which is where we like to be. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, give the, the people a chance to let, let it – let me start again. Give everybody a chance um, to find you on social media and where they can find your content. No, I, absolutely. Thank you so much, Bryce, for having me. I truly appreciate it. I, I'm looking forward to doing this again, hosting you on my podcast. Yeah, you know? no, I, uh, we'll, I, we'll have to flip it up. Yeah, I definitely want to have you back if, if, if you're willing, and I would love to come over there anytime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. It's at L A Z C H A N C E. I host the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, which you can find uh, basically anywhere you found this podcast, and the Pistons versus Everybody podcast, which you can also find on um, all major podcast platforms. Awesome. Thank you again, Laz. Guys, make sure you go follow him. Be checking out Detroit Bad Boys every day. All sorts of great content coming out from him and everybody else um, at the site that's contributing. Be on the lookout for episode 41 around Wednesday, August 4th. I'll be joined by CJ Marchesani and get some analysis on some of these players. And we'll also have some free agent uh, news and decisions by that episode as well. As always, thank you to everyone listening, subscribing, liking, following, and everything else, supporting in every way. I appreciate it so much. Make sure you kept up, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.